This is Strange Assembly episode 252, Game of the Year 2017 slash 2018. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there in the Apple Podcasts app, on iTunes, in the Google Play Music Store, or anywhere fine podcasts are sold. You can find us on the usual social media. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter. We'll love you forever if you check out patreon.com slash strangeassembly and support us there. But today, we are going to be talking about the best games of 2017 and the best of what we've played of 2018 so far. And by we, I mean myself, Chris Stevenson, along with Jay Earl. Hello. And Mike Cook. Hey. If you haven't listened to one of these episodes before, the general rules are like this. Uh, first, we're going to talk about 2017, because you can't really, at the end of 2017, have a full discussion of 2017, because you couldn't possibly have played enough games. So, Mike and Jay and I are going to talk about what our personal favorite games were. Then we'll announce the you know actual game of the year for 2017. Note that... The game of the year is based on voting, and that voting includes people who are not on this show. So you cannot, in fact, like add up the voting that, you know, add up the favorites of Mike and Jay and I to get the final outcome. So don't be confused by that. Then we will go on to 2018 and what I call the preliminary game of the year, which is really just the our favorite games that we've played so far with the acknowledgement that that is certainly going to change as over 2019 we play more games from 2018. And as far as what is eligible for these, so I do a lot of role-playing gaming too. We're not, we don't do role-playing games in these, so don't be surprised when you don't hear things like, you know, Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition or whatever in the list. This is your uh, board and card games. And it can be board games, card games, miniatures games, but we also exclude what I would call lifestyle games. So the idea of this is really, okay, if you're the sort of person who tries out a variety of different games, which ones are most worth trying out and playing? And so we're we're not going to say, oh, you know what, Magic the Gathering, that's still a pretty nifty game. Because it really kind of consumes you to to play it at any kind of serious level. We do include games that are tournament games, if they're the sort of game that can at least theoretically be played on something resembling a budget. So the, the sort of easiest hard line is, if you're an actual LCG from Fantasy Flight, or if you're Phoenix Born from Plaid Hat, which I guess is kind of Fantasy Flight now, I mean, you know what I mean. Those or those sorts of things are okay, but if it's an actual CCG where you have to go buy booster boxes and booster boxes and booster boxes, that we would not include. So so Magic or Dice Masters. Uh, really, I think the big thing is that if it's if it's randomized and requires you to buy bunches of packs or whatever, or uh, if it's a miniatures game that expects you to drop, you know, a thousand dollars every time you want to switch armies, uh, we're going to take a pass on that. 
for these list purposes. Not that those can't be worthy games, but it's just kind of outside the scope of this list. But on to the actual games for 2017. Each of us is going to go over our top five. We're going to take turns. And I'm just going to give you guys a heads up that for the three of us, there is a significant amount of overlap in our 2017 choices, which hopefully just means that these are all really good games because we all seem to agree on that. But it does mean that I'm just going to go ahead and skip number five to begin with because every single one of our number fives appears later on one of the other person's lists. And why don't we just go to your number four, Jay? Okay, so uh, my number four is Dice Forge, which I love this mechanic. It's a new mechanic. It's called Dice Forge because through the course of the game, you are forging dice. It comes with plastic dice that have no faces and then faces that you can put on them. So you, it's it's like a, a deck building game, but you're literally building the dice. It starts with it's got basic resources on all the sides. You roll the dice, you get the resources, you spend the resources to get better sides, you swap out the sides of your dice, you keep rolling. It's low for me because it is like the first time I've seen this, and it's a very simple implementation of this idea of changing out your dice. I'm really hoping that somebody takes this idea and runs with it and makes a more a more a deeper game because I love this swapping out dice faces and deck building your dice. So yeah, that's that's the basic real heart of the game is take a st- standard deck builder and instead of building making your deck builder, you're making your dice better. I got Dice Forge. I quite enjoyed it, but uh, just to echo what Jay is saying, you're right, because you have the different card slots that are the cards that you buy that's part of the game. Honestly, I I felt like there just weren't a ton of options in the game, and ended up that ended up hurting its replayability for me. I, I really enjoyed it, but I ended up getting... I actually ended up getting rid of it already. Just because I, I'm keeping my space very, very small, so it's like a great game, but also it was like not the staying power I wanted. I have Dice Forge in my... It would be in my top 10, so it's not going to appear in this episode. It, it's a it's a nifty game. It's a great mechanic. You're right. It's it's pretty straightforward, which, of course, can be an upside, right? It is yeah. a... It, it, it means that I can play it with an, it's a 10-year-old, right? Or an 8-year-old. You know, that is... It, you know, it, it can be played there, but yeah, it is not a... does not have massive strategic depth. Uh, but it's a fun game. So that's uh, Dice Forge, published in the U.S. by Libelud, and then our other number fours, we have even more repeats, because wow. So why don't we just go to Jay? What's your number three? Well, okay, my number three, uh, we're getting on, you know, why this podcast started, Legend of the Five Rings, the re-release last year by Fantasy Flight, when they brought L5R back as an LCG. I'm not sure what else to say about this because, you know, could easily go for hours because we have. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know about L5R, how did you find your podcast? Why are you listening to our podcast? But yeah, it's the magical samurai uh, living card game put out by Fantasy Flight. And it's great, but it's also bordering on lifestyle. And so I have other things that I've been enjoying more. 
Although they're also bordering on lifestyle games. Which we'll talk about some more yes, as we... We'll uh, get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I, I, yes, I, I'm, I... Everyone, just just remember this. Remember that comment that Jay just made and keep it in mind when we get to the 2018 games. Just keep yes. it in mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? I apparently like lifestyle games because there's at least a half dozen between the two lists. Yeah. Yes, yes. So... Yeah, Legend of the Five Rings. I right, it was our what did it had tied for game the preliminary game of the year last year. I want to say. I think everybody had it at first. The three of us did. The yeah. three of us did. The the people who do not who who vote but who do not regularly appear on the podcast are not old L five R diehards. Right. So it did not get that boost from them. But still, it was it was enough for it to uh, to be up there. But it, yeah, I mean, I I think. For me, part of this is just changing lifestyle situation, right? We we had this announcement about it anymore. Like I, I just don't play Legend of the Five Rings in a way that lets us, you know, have podcast episodes that are all about how to play the card game. We can still have a podcast episode where we casually talk about it, where we talk about the story, or we talk about the RPG, or something like that. But just a whole episode of strategy we, we don't do anymore so but yeah as as jay said this podcast started out as a many many moons ago as a legend of the five rings ccg podcast this it's gone you know the property has gone through a lot uh it was purchased by fantasy flight games they launched the lcg last year they launched the role-playing game this year and you can go back in this podcast feed and get you know introduction to the l5r lcg material but as much as I like L5R, it's just not something that I'm in a position to get to play tons. And so it was lower on my list and it was, but it was on my list, but lower and it was on your list, but lower as well, Mike, right? Yeah, I've got it. Uh, I had it at number five and it, it it's somewhat similar to uh, what everybody else is saying. I mean, I still love the property. I still think it's great. I do think, the release cadence has really hurt uh, keeping the momentum going in play communities. Obviously, that's not intentional. That They've got to try different things. And once you're in the middle of it, you can't really change it. But having nothing to keep your interest for a while and then all of a sudden having to drop, what, like, like $90? It's almost like being back in a CCG over six weeks or something like that. It's almost like being back in a CCG in a way, and I think they figured that out. And you know, obviously, it seems like they're they're responding to that, which is fine. I I put it at number five just because honestly, it's L5R. Like, there's a lot of other games I probably could have put at number five, but it still has a really big place in my heart, and I want to come back to it. But it also is a game that does take a while to play. Like, it's still not a fast playing game, and there's just a lot of other games that I can play in that time frame. And on on top of having to try and wrangle people to like actually play it and keep up with it and, you know, update their decks, you know, I still love the game. It's great. The world is great. All of the story is fantastic. If we did RPG products for 2018, L5R would easily be my number one, but yeah, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll add role-playing game products to the, uh, to the slate, uh, at, at some point we can, uh, we had this whole off uh, off mic discussion about the you know some of the ups and downs of trying to to do role playing games. Obviously, you have things like the Ennies that do role playing games well, 
but you're right. Elvior did. I, I mean, apparently they have also concluded that these six packs in six weeks was not a great way to do it because Fantasy Flight is is shaking thing some of the release things up for their LCGs anyway. But L5R seems to be leading the pack on that front. Although I do have to say that while I I get the general sentiment spending $90 over six weeks on an LCG is not really like a CCG because 90 bucks might not even be a booster box and you, you know, a set comes out and you have to buy like four of them or something like that. But depending on the CCG. Well, but, no, but, but, but part of the LCGs, it is a bit more spread out. Like it's like $15 a month, which is perception wise different. It, yes. No, I, I like the individual clan boxes rather. I don't, I mean, I've even said, right. I'd rather they just released one set for $90 than, like the not really spread out like it's spread out so i have to you know be constantly i have to be constantly revising the deck but it doesn't give you that sense of the money not being as much because it's it's uh spread out yep peek behind the veil a little bit (laughs) yeah so that is legend of the five rings obviously from fantasy flight games and now we'll get up to our number twos where this time jay doesn't get to introduce a game. I I know, I know. What is up with that? Don't worry, you still have your number one left. Okay, good. But how, how about your number two, Mike? So my number two is Warhammer Underworld, since that's the technical title of it. Shadespires technically, when the game came out, that was the first core set, but everybody thought it was just called Shadespire because that's what the big name says. But then they put out Warhammer Underworld's Night Vault. And everybody's like, oh, I guess Warhammer Underworlds is what the actual name of this game is. Anyways, I came into it with Night Vault, but obviously the game came out in 2017, so I'm just counting it in 2017. It's a minis game from Games Workshop, where you're playing in the new Age of Sigmar. The reason this is on my list is for a number of things. Number one is, it's definitely not a lifestyle game, because you you buy the core set, and that's enough for two people. You have a team of people that you bring. The game is actually two to four players, so you can easily play it multiplayer. Each person just has to have a board and some tokens. And basically, you play three rounds, and you're fighting the other teams for objectives and victory points. Uh, So you actually have cards in your hand, which are the victory points, as well as killing your opponents obviously gives you victory points as well. And at the end of three rounds, you get to score again, and then whoever has the most victory points wins. So it's a really interesting game in that if you actually play to your victory points, you can have all of your people die and still win the game. Which may seem a little bit weird, but, you know, a lot of times, uh, faction-wise, it makes a lot of sense. Blood for the blood god. Pretty much. And Korn is uh, is one of the groups. Also, what's really interesting is... When you buy a group for it, a team, essentially, that team is it. Like, you can't add to it or subtract to it. Whatever you buy is what you buy. And even things that would be adjacent in the regular Warhammer world, right? Like, if I have the Sepulchre Guard and I also have the Night Gaunts from the new Night Vault starter set, they actually don't interact with each other. And each group has their own cards, because there's generic cards and then there's uh, team-specific cards, they can't even use each other's team-specific cards. Like, they are completely, entirely separate teams, so there is no team-building. There is deck-building. You get to do, you do get to build your own decks for both the victory points and for the actions that you do. 
but I, I just thought it was really it's really cool it's really fun it, it's a lot faster than i was expecting it's not just straight up brawl you know each other's faces off there's a lot of strategic thinking with it also the models are just fantastic they're super easy to put together the goblin team has the most members of anything so far and i think i put it together in like 45 minutes with a, a couple of clippers and a little bit of a knife and a little bit of super glue, which you mostly don't even have to use on most of the figures. And the figures just look great. The the, the poses and whatnot just look fantastic. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's really fairly inexpensive. A team is like $30. The base set, I think, is $60, which is the cost of two teams, and you actually get way more than that in the box. Uh, the, new, the new one, uh, Night Vault, actually adds magic. That's why they put out a new base set, because you actually have magic dice in there you didn't have in the, in the base set in the Shadespire. So, and, and they're putting out new stuff for it. New teams are coming out pretty rapid fire. I actually ended up really liking Age of Sigmar. It's really weird, and for some reason, I like that a lot more than the old Warhammer, although I know a lot of people probably be mad about that, and people had a lot of years invested in it. I actually think Age of Sigmar is kind of, they're kind of going all in on it, and it's just a lot of fun. So that is why it is number two on my list. So, Mike, let me ask you the most important question about this game. Can you play Rattling in it? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm sold. <laughs> You know, they're all all the teams seem to be fairly good. You had me at rattling. Yeah. Is that Spite Claws yes. Swarm? And there should be another one okay. coming out that actually has uh, magic. Because basically, all the factions had... Not all the factions, but some of the factions had non-magic sets, which was the original run. And then Night Vault, now that there's magic, all the new folks have magic people that are coming out. And... Warhammeristas out there, we're aware that they're not called Rattlings in Warhammer. They're Skaven. We know. Well, everything's <laughs> turned into something they can copyright, right? So, I mean, that's literally that's why they call them elves now. A E L F. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. Everything, everything. They're, they're, they're not orcs anymore. They're uh, I can't remember, but it's all so they can copyright the Zug -zug. names. Uh, yeah, trademark. But trademark, yeah, they. Sorry. Seriously, they renamed that's yeah. They've renamed everything that's like a generic term is now a specific term, so they can they, well, they can actually. That's... I mean, I kind of get it, but you know, still, it's, it's I get it. It's still funny. Oh yeah, it is. Respelling the word elves. That what is the? It's a e. What is one of the old un cards from <laughs> Magic? The not another Aether vortex. <laughs> <laughs> I like not another elf vortex. I don't know. Okay, so that is Warhammer Underworlds. I guess specifically Warhammer Underworld Shadespire from Games Workshop. So my number two, which also appeared earlier on both Jay and Mike's list, is Civilization A New Dawn. Or if we want to use the trademarked version, Sid Meier's Civilization A New Dawn. Because right, anybody can call their game Civilization. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to pay to call it Sid Meier's Civilization. And this is... Not even slightly the first board game version of Sid Meier's Civilization. This, isn't... Uh, this is not even the yeah. first board game version of Sid Meier's Civilization from Fantasy Flight. But it is the version of Sid Meier's Civilization that plays the quickest and has the least potential issues with, you know, the long game where one player is effectively eliminated because there's combat this follows the general idea of civilization while I think being more abstracted 
than any other game, any other board game version of Civilization is. And I think that works well because there's so much that goes on in the computer game of Civilization that is handled by the computer processing everything that you really can't get that directly close to it in a board game. So, but but Sid Meier's Civilization is played on a hex map. You start with a city and a, a few control markers around your city, and then you have to build out from there. You have caravans that you can send out for economic things. You can, of course, send out military units. You can colonize new spaces. You can really do uh, all of the things that you you know, would normally expect to be able to do. But I think there's there's two primary innovations that this one does that kind of change up how it plays the the less important one and is probably just the way that you win in that you have you know three different victory target cards and each one of them has two options on it and and you want to you know get one from each card and that's how you're going to win and there's a variety of those and you don't play with all of them every game so it when you're playing, you need to tailor how you're playing to the particular uh, victory conditions that you're aiming for, and that prevents things from being samey every time. And it means that you can't win by just going around and stomping everyone. You, you might want to go around and stomp other people to stop them from winning, but like it's not going to get you directly closer to victory just attacking people over and over again. But the thing that I really like is the card track where you've got the five different actions, like you've got a technology action, and you've got a commerce action, and you've got a military action, and those, the longer it's been since you use them, the more powerful they will get. And so it it discourages you from just taking the same action over and over again. And then as you level up your technology, you have to like pick and choose which of these cards you're going to improve at which point of the game. Like, do you want to have much better caravans, or do you want to have, you know, better uh, attack power when you're going after barbarians or or whatever? And it it just works out really elegantly, and then it ties in with all the terrain types on the board because each of those is is rated and it matches up with one of the slots. So if you want to, you know, move your caravan through mountains or something, you have to have the really powerful caravan action otherwise you have to go around all of that but i think it just does a really good job of instilling the feel of civilization into a game without being this massive drawn out slugfest so what were your your guys thoughts uh yeah i agree with you uh i mean i i liked a lot of the innovations in the game the whole action board rotating through and making it so that the longer you delayed the gratification, the better your action was. I love that mechanic. That is so great where like every turn you're in a bind of, okay, do I take the action I really want right now, knowing it's not going to be as strong as it could be if I savor it? Yeah, I just, I, there's so many little mechanics in this game that I really like put together I thought it was great, yes. Basically what you guys have said, I think it does really well embody what Sid Meier once described as a game, which is a series of interesting choices. That's like, that basically just feels that game, uh, feels like that game from beginning to end. And like, I never felt like there was a bad decision anytime that I'm playing the game. Like there might be some, eh, this is maybe a little bit mediocre, but nothing just felt awful, which, which can happen in most games. Also, Fantasy Flight, you, you put out 
expansions like Clockwork. Where's my expansion for this game? Because that's the only <laughs> thing I would really request for for this. And like, I just need some more map tiles and some more civilizations. That's all, and I would be happy. But really, that's like my only complaint with this game is just that I, I want more stuff. I wonder how well this game did. Right. As much as we all liked it, I don't get the sense it's not super highly rated on BGG. It doesn't seem to have gotten a lot of visibility. Like, you can go and buy it for like $27 on Amazon right now, I, I think. I think people were actively uh, mad that it was not just a reproduction of, uh, of Civilization like their old Civilization was. Which, like, was a good game for what it was, but is that, I mean, it, it's more like the computer game in that it is a long, uh, yeah. <laughs> a but long you, thing that can result in players just getting well, and crushed. And also that you can't just uh, pause it and, like, leave it if you need to go make a sandwich or something because you're bored with it. I, I don't have anything else to do this month, so I will play Civilization. Okay, so now we are up to our number ones, and since you, it's been a bit since you got to introduce a game, why don't you go with your number one game of 2017, Jay? All right, so my number one was Charterstone. Yeah. Right, this was the Stonemeyer entry into the Legacy game, even though it doesn't say Legacy on it. I think this is the only legacy <laughs> game I've seen that doesn't say legacy in part of the name. Anyway, this is, it starts as just a lovely little worker placement game, which is one of my favorite genres. I love me some worker placement games, but then it starts doing all of these interesting legacy things. So like it's worker placement, all of the places that you have to be putting your workers are stickers that you pull out of, you know. When you start, you have a card, you pull a sticker off of it, you stick it on the board, now you can you have a place you can go. One of the place one of the fixed places on the board that's always available is over the course of the game, you're getting more of these cards, and so you get a uh, go to a place and you take the sticker off the card and you put it on the board. Once you do that too, for most of the cards, you still got the card with no sticker. You can now go to a different place and pay some resources and Basically, shred the shred what's left of the card and go get some more cards out of the box, and you're just constantly building and improving and and adding interesting things. There's a little bit of story; it's just enough to be interesting, but that's really the backbone, the the background. This is like the perfect worker placement game, and it's just adds all of these. It, it, it also you know, one of the classic problems with worker placement games is they get complicated fast and that can turn people off, whereas this is a nice slow burn. You play it the first time and all you're doing is a couple little things, but those have added a few things and you, you gradually ramp into all of the rules and the hard stuff that's really making the game interesting. And I don't... I want to talk about this game for three hours, but I feel like I've already brushed against spoilers enough, enough as it is. I don't want to spoil just the joy that is playing this game. Yes, but if you do want to listen to Endless talking about Charterstone, we we did actually have a an entirely start Charterstone episode, which which Jay wasn't on, Ooh. but... But my spouse was, so you know. <laughs> I mean, I know it's side my bread's buttered on. Sorry, sure. man. totally fair. Uh, <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no. So that was, yeah, that was back in, yeah, that was back in January. 
if you want to hear me ramble for an hour or four, just come on over. I I, yeah, I will talk about that game for for ages. <laughs> okay. Um. But yeah, Char- Charterstone was on my list as well. I at number three. I don't know that I have a a, a ton else to add. It is yeah. It's it's fun to open up the new stickers, right? It's it's fun to put them on. We actually you. Uh, you end up with your own little custom board. I like you can theoretically keep on playing. I don't think that's really going to be a thing that people do so much. But I don't. I don't think. I don't think people really expect that to be a thing for legacy games. Like they sometimes feel obligated to say like, "Well, here are the rules if you keep on playing." But like, come on, I uh, that's you know, that's not what you're doing a legacy game for. But uh, I I even. I don't know when where he's really going to be old enough for us to to use it, but. My eight-year-old insisted that we, I guess not he insisted, like he begged that we get the recharge pack so that it could be played again with him as a more full participant this time around. So, you know, it even has a vote from the the younger set. Uh, I think the real question is, how long is it going to be until the five-year-old is old enough to be able to play so we can like play through the whole thing with my little nuclear family unit? But uh, I was also on your list, Mike. Yeah, I really like this game my uh, uh it's it's a lot of fun exactly like jay said it's a ni- really really nice balance uh maybe a little easy in the beginning but obviously it's you know okay we're learning things there, it does have some of the legacy stuff of sometimes the legacy rules themselves can be a little confusing at points like it's easy to accidentally miss a card or to skip one of them and that's kind of one of the dangers of having rules on cards right you accidentally have a couple clumped together and all of a sudden you know, it's a big box of cards and all of a sudden you're like looking around for 15 minutes and it's not in the rule book because it's literally not in the rule book but that's just kind of an i guess an expected thing and I will say this is probably the best legacy style game I've ever played. It feels like it implements it the best and it just is um it has a lot of simplicity which really benefits the legacy style. So yeah, it it's a lot of fun and I've had two different groups quit on me halfway through. So that's <laughs> a true legacy game. Oh, <laughs> oh that's rough. Okay, so that is Charterstone from Stonemeyer Games. So what was your number one, Mike? My number one was another legacy game, <laughs> Gloomhaven. So, uh, Gloomhaven is a tactical game where you get to play characters and you get to level them up. And then it's kind of like a dungeon crawl and then you make some kind of story decisions. And it's great. I just I think it's an absolute blast. The box is kind of a mess when you're trying to organize everything. I ended up having to oh, buy... Oh, God, yes. I ended up having to get the broken token organizer, and that was its own whole thing. It was a lot of fun. I like I like putting those organizers together, so it was a lot of fun for me. But like, I had to get that to be able to actually keep everything organized, which is maybe my one complaint. It's just it's so packed full of content. It can actually be like actually harder to re- organize. You could have sold this thing to me with about half the content in a smaller box, and not even half the price, and I would have been just as happy with it. I will say that uh, for me, legacy games in general have kind of I don't, I'm just kind of over the fat. Like I don't know that any of the legacy games that I've played have really lived up to that whole legacy ideal, and 
to me, Gloomhaven is fantastic, whether you have legacy aspects to it or not, right? Like, why why I like Gloomhaven is I think the tactical combat is fantastic, and the advancement is fantastic. Uh, so I don't mind the legacy elements, but they're not the draw for me for this game. Uh, I, I just think it's, like, you know, the production and the real cool, like, unlocking different characters later, that's cool, like, but, you, you know, you wouldn't have to do legacy style to do that game. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I mean, whatever. I- I would chime in there with, I feel like this is the only legacy game I've played that you could actually legitimately play it not as a legacy game. You don't have to wait until you've unlocked a bunch of stuff in the game. Everything is there from the start. Basically, all you're really unlocking is new stuff, new missions, which the book is there. You're just not supposed to go to it, but you can just, you know, flip through and be like, let's do this mission. Right. And one thing I think is is noteworthy is that so that, right this is a fantasy game this is a dungeon crawler but it's not like you're over the course of the campaign a character right right the the story is the story of a group and you will start out with like I think you're probably going to want to do it with like okay one character is played by one player but that character does some leveling up sorts of things and then. Then they retire. Yep. And the characters retiring unlocks new characters and also advances the story, which is this, you know, which involves the story of the town of Gloomhaven. And in between the dungeon crawls, you go back to town and you have cards that make decisions and we have to make decisions about what you're going to do. You can change, you might change your reputation, you might change the prosperity level of the town. That can, they might unlock new missions. Changing the prosperity level can unlock new items for you to buy for the characters. So yeah, Gloomhaven was also on all of our lists. Gloomhaven is, I will tell you, lower on my list than anyone else who has it on. And and I know this is going to sound weird, but it's down there because it's, it's like it's too much. Right? When you're talking about it as a legacy game, most legacy games, you play 12 to 20 times. And 20 is even on the high end. That's like if you're playing Pandemic Legacy and you're just constantly losing the missions, but Gloomhaven, the, you would have to play for hundreds of hours, I think, to actually play everything. And I know it's weird to think of that as a bad thing, but like it, it basically means that there is no way I would ever actually be able to play the story of Gloomhaven. And I know that you still get that normal tactical play, but I do really like these storytelling elements that you can have with a legacy game that you can't have with with something else and because gloomhaven starts with so much in it the evolution of gameplay from game to game is slower than it might otherwise be it's more based on the scenarios than based on characters advancing i mean the the biggest thing is just when you change which character you are either because you've retired somewhere or you want to do something different so the sort of juxtaposition is that probably my number six game for the year is Go nuts for donuts. It's like five Gloomhaven, six Go nuts for donuts. They they could not possibly be any further apart on the weight scale. <laughs> I mean, literally, physically, I feel like you could, you know, <laughs> anchor a boat with Gloomhaven, or you know, it's enormous. Yeah. I feel like a bodybuilder, you know. I feel like if I lifted it over my head, I would strain something. And it would fall and crush me. <laughs> I only have one heavier game that I can think of. 
What is that? that is it, made uh, of it, it is it is on my 2018 list, so I will not reveal it. <laughs> I will talk about it then. All right, yes, because I yeah I don't think I own anything that is even like my Mansions of Madness with every single expansion kind of thing is like or 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 Thunderstone Quest with the you know that Kickstarter everything version is still just not. Okay, but that is, so that is uh, Gloomhaven from Cephalofair Games. So it, we have a, the the weird situation here, and this is this is quite unusual. But I mean, we, we've talked about already. I've mentioned already how much overlap there is. But we literally have the the three of us, just the three of us. We have our lists are four of the five games each. Right, there are four games that each one of us put on our list. And so each one of us had exactly one game that was not mentioned by the others. Jay had Dice Forge, Mike had Warhammer Underworlds, and then I have my number one, which is Anachrony. Anachrony is from Mind Clash Games. Uh, this was originally a, a Kickstarter, but it is a worker placement game with time travel and multiple different... Like there's like two phases of the game, and there's time travel, and there's multiple different kinds of workers, and you there is a cataclysm that you know is coming, and you have to sort of take actions to prepare for this cataclysm, and then it will occur, and then the object is to like end up in charge of humanity after all the dust has settled. But because you've figured out that it's going to occur, or even after it's occurred, like your future self can time travel resources back to your past self. But then, of course, when you get to that future turn that you time travel the resources from, you actually have to send them back in time, or else it can, you know, tear holes in reality, aka lose you victory points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a board game. How else are you going to represent it? Um, and you have. This is if if you back to the Kickstarter, this is more impressive visually looking. But you've got normal workers, and then you've got these exosuits, and so these these big exosuits can go out and take actions that normal workers cannot. Uh, and if you have the you if you buy the exosuit commander pack, or if you got it through the Kickstarter, like you actually like physically put the other worker inside the exosuit, and then put the exosuit out on the board. When you when you play them out, so uh, but then even within the 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 normal workers, there's engineers and there's scientists and there's administrators and there's geniuses. So there's just a lot of different options. It is it is just a straightforwardly extremely good worker placement game. And then depending on how much you want to vary it up and whether or not you have some of the expansions, you can you know you can have different game lengths. You can have different victory conditions. There's a lot of a variability that you can plug into there. And I don't know, and the four factions are like like ideologies and I don't know. It's just uh quite nifty. Uh and that is Anachrony from Mind Clash Games. So that is our personal favorite games for 2017. And we are gonna go with complete chalk here. And the 2017 Strange Assembly game of the year is Gloomhaven, uh, <laughs> as voted on by every single person who gets a vote. <laughs> I mean, Gloomhaven crushed the competition. Crushed the competition. It was not even close. Not even close. So uh, we've already talked about Gloomhaven, so it's not going to get another 
uh, spiel here, but since it was on every single one of our lists, so 2017, Strange Assembly, Game of the Year, Gloomhaven. And now that leads us on to 2018, where we will reproduce this uh, same exercise. Again, we call this the, the preliminary game of the year for 2018. These are all very tentative. We There's lots and lots of things that came out in a given year that have not been played yet. And so take these as you will. There's unsurprisingly not going to be the same kind of overlap as there was with 2017 because 2017 had an extraordinary amount of overlap in our five presentations. There's a little bit, but not a bunch. Let's start with your number five, Mike. So my number five is technically coming out in 2018. It's Brass Birmingham. Brass Birmingham is a worker placement game where you are playing through the Industrial Age in uh, Birmingham, England, oddly enough. It, it's worker placement. You actually buy factories. You have cards that dictate where you can place what. And there's a bunch of different scoring mechanisms. So there, there's building the links between the towns. There's the factories that you're building. You need resources like iron and coal to actually build certain other re- uh, certain other factories. So then there's a market that you can buy that from, or you, you have to use what's on when you build like a coal, fa- uh, coal factory, you take coal and put it on the factory. So people have to use that if they're connected to it to build their thing. And then if uh, all of your coal is gone, you get to flip and that's victory points that you get to score. It, it, it's of course a victory point game because it is a worker placement game. Honestly, it's a very heavy game. So this was also, it's kind of, it's essentially the sequel to Brass uh, Lancashire, which is. Yes, which let's, let's note that like, yeah, Brass Lancashire used to just be called Brass. They renamed it because they were coming out with Brass Birmingham. And funny enough, I actually got the, the Brass app and it is the old Brass. (laughs) Like uh, Lancashire, when they renamed it, they also reworked some of the rules for it. And I think Brass came out in like 2003 or something like that. Like it's a er- seven. Oh, seven. Think, okay. But... Well, uh, a little bit later than I thought, but still, like it, you know, it, it kind of. It's a decade old. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rules are way harder than that. But anyways, so it is. Uh, Birmingham makes put some interesting twists and it changes some things, and I do think it is essentially better than Lincolnshire, but. It's just a great game. It is very heavy. It's not going to be for everybody. Uh, the people I played with are literally accountants in as their day jobs, and they loved it, and I love it. I'm not an accountant, but I love math and all that type of stuff, and I love games where you have all these links, and you have to try and figure out the links, and they're not super obvious. And when you put down a factory with the coal that you put on it, if the market needs it, it will go to the market, and so you can instantly flip. And then do I build this, and it's scoring points every turn, or do I build this other thing? And the card element of it is really elegant. And how it scales up with players is really elegant. And I just really like this game. I, and, like, there's clunkiness, but it's like feels like very intentional clunkiness. So, anyways, that's Brass Birmingham. If you like worker placement, I would heavily recommend it. it it's quite good. Yeah, Brass Birmingham. The, the original design for Brass was Martin Wallace. He's got some co-designers on Brass Birmingham, and it's from Roxley Games. How about your number five, Jay? 
My number five is higher on somebody else's list because apparently I'm not the only one with major nostalgia for this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, my number five is My Little Scythe from Stonemeyer Games. Uh, and this is, as you might guess from the title, sort of a family game implementation of Scythe. Uh, in fact, it was designed by uh, by Hobie Chow and his daughter Vienna as a like they they basically said, oh, we like Scythe, we want to make a kids version of it. Stonemeyer saw it and said, no, seriously, let's just make it a kids version of Scythe. And so, like Scythe, you're trying to collect trophies and you get a certain number or stars or whatever, you know, and you get a certain number of them and you win and you you go around in this game and you have pie fights. And you're collecting gems and you're collecting apples. You do even have a little bit of the like upgrading your board. And it's just a really neat little game. It's got these... I now realize this is the second game in a row where I'm talking about something where usually I, I want to de-emphasize the importance of. But especially for a kid's game, it's important that it's got these like really adorable figurines in it. Because of, you know, these cutesy anthropomorphic animals. You know, you can be the little tiger or the warthog or whatever. Everything's got vibrant, popping colors. There's a couple of the colors that are not quite as standout-ish as they need to be, or you can't really tell which zone of the board they're matched on. So that's not perfect. But it's a really solid family game. I don't... There's some actual depth to it, but, you know, you're probably not going to want to go for this if you just have like a if you just have a bunch of grown-ups going around it's really more aimed to be played with teenagers or you know 10 year olds or whatever but with that it is really so it's it's not on the opposite end of brass birmingham and complexity because somehow it still has a weight of two in the bgg rankings but that's probably just because my sense of the weight of a game is completely skewed and i you know just slice out the bottom part of games that i just never want to touch but uh, that is, my number five is My Little Scythe from Stonemeyer Games. What do you have up next for us, Mike? My number four is Villainous from Wonderforge. Villainous, it lets you play as one of the six villains from six of the, uh, from six different Disney cartoons. So you've got uh, the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. You've got Ursula. You've got King John from Robin Hood, which is great nostalgia for me. It's a card game that does have a board base because you're moving around on spaces on the board, but mostly it's a card game. It's a lot of fun because every single villain is doing their own thing. So, like, Captain Hook has to try and find Peter Pan and bring him back to his ship and capture him. The Queen of Hearts has to get all of her characters that she's playing. She can turn them into... What I want to say into goals or whatever, and she's trying to get turn all of them into goals and then hit her ball through to to win her croquet match. That's how she wins, and so it is a little bit. It's a little bit asynchronous, not asynchronous. It's a little bit not super competitive. Although there definitely are things like the way that people hurt you is another deck that is specific for your character, like the. Captain Hook deck has Peter Pan, and it has Wendy, and it has all those characters, and they show up, and basically they turn off 
parts of your board that you're moving to the the spaces on the board that you take give you the different actions uh, usually four different actions and then typically when a hero moves there it'll block off half of the action so when you you can still move there but you get half the actions you normally would and you have to play your allies to take the heroes out and a lot of times you actually need to play those heroes to get your objectives done so it's really fun i think it's a nice medium complexity it's not terribly complicated you can play with, with just about anybody but there's also some interesting decisions i actually like that the decks are not uh, the different decks are not equal so you can have someone who's more advanced a player play something like jafar who has to go and search for a whole bunch of different things in a very particular order to be able to like right he has to go find the lamp then he has to go free the genie uh, he has to open the cave of wonders then find the lamp then free the genie, then get them back and, like, put them in servitude or whatever. Like, it, it's, they feel very, very different, and different people are going to be uh, a different amount of successful, so you can kind of balance that out. I, it's just screaming for an expansion. The art, of course, is, and the pieces in general are just beautiful. Uh, the, the token that you have is, like, a, a clear plastic, colored clear plastic. They're all colored. Uh, all of the components are color-themed for that character. And they're, you know, it's way more than it needs to be, but there's only four of them, so it doesn't feel like you're paying a bunch of extra for something you don't need to me. Because I think the game's only like $30, and you can get it, you know, please get it from your friendly local game store. But you can get it at Target. That's where I had to get it, because it took them a long time for my friendly local game store to get it, and I didn't even think they could until they did. Anyways, it's a great game. It's a lot of fun, a lot of nostalgia. I really... This is another game I really hope they put another expansion for. They could just do another standalone expansion that's just six more villains. Or they could do... I guess they could do heroes if they really wanted to. Anyways, that is num my number four, which is Villainous. So then we will turn to you, Jay. Right, so my number four is Petrichor. I think that's how you pronounce it. This is just a lovely, light little game where you are sort of, you're the clouds, there's a field, your goal is to water the plants and get them to grow in spring, and the game takes place over, I think it was three years, and so there's, you know, each season, in the spring you want, you want the water to go down so that the plants will grow, in the fall you want them to be growing and, and, and getting bigger, um, and yeah, just the goal is you're trying to get the plants to grow. It's, you get points based on every time a harvest season happens, how many plants you've managed to help grow. Also, a lot of it too is you're, again, your clouds. So a lot of the game is using the wind to move the clouds, using the water cycle of getting water into the clouds and then pouring, pouring, raining down onto the plants so that they can grow blowing the clouds around so that they rain where you want them to rain it's just a fun lovely little light game that it's just so pretty too so yeah that's that's my number four is petrichor yeah I, and i would like to uh to say here that jay it is impressive and it does not happen much this this was a game that when you put that on your list I had never heard of it. <laughs> I've never heard of it either. I had to look it up to be like, what is this game? Which I suppose is good, right? I I mean, as much as obviously like, okay, 
clearly we're going to pick Gloomhaven as the game of the year for 2017. It's not like that's news to anyone who follows board games. But hey, look, <laughs> here's a game that even most of us have never heard of. And then now you can try out. I feel like it's a, a, more, a more of a, a valuable contribution. <laughs> All right. So uh, my number four, which was also Jay's number five, and which I think both of us talked about at Gen Con, is Choose Your Own Adventure, House of Danger. And that is indeed branded Choose Your Own Adventure, just like those books that many of us read when we were kids. Yep. And... It's even down to the like the the packaging. The front of the box looks like one of the books. They use the same font on the cards that they used in the books, I guess. So this really is a like you you start with your character. There's some goofy story because right if you remember choose your own adventure books, some of these had the most bizarre stories, and you are going through and like it you it's done with cards instead of a book, obviously, but you. You look at the card, it gives you a choice, and then you decide which way to go. And then you go here, and you go there, and you go through. It's, it is not, it's not a direct correlation to the book. It does let you backtrack some if you want, that, that, whether or not that's a good idea. That's a direct correlation to the book. You didn't hold your, you know, you turn the page and you hold your finger where you just were just to see if you die on this one. There were times I had six fingers in that book. <laughs> right? Okay, yes, you do that, but you 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 actually can within the same like you can get somewhere like there are three different paths to get somewhere, and then it might let you like go back down one of the paths you didn't take while having already taken the other path. But yes, I of course choose your own adventure books had so many just random, and then you die that you had to put your finger in the book, or else you were gonna have to like replay through the whole thing. Like that would have been silly. No, 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 no. Of course, of course, you put your finger in the book and check. Uh, there, there, there is some randomness in this too. There are some tasks that you have to attempt to test on, and how hard those are can vary based on uh, how basically how well you've been doing. Like things can get worse for you and make your tasks harder, and then when they get bad enough, it resets the difficulty back down, but then dings you somewhere else. I think on your psychic meter, it's not a deep game, but it was a lot of fun, and yeah, it does get a little nostalgia kick. Uh, I don't know. Did you? What else did you want to say about House of Danger? I mean, yeah, that's basically it. Is I I have huge amounts of nostalgia for those Choose Your Own Adventure books. Reading those as a kid, and I suspect if you also have positive nostalgia for it, you would like playing this game because now you get to choose your own adventure with a couple friends. If you have no idea what we're talking about, this is not the game for you. <laughs> But if if you have that nostalgia bubble, you're probably going to like it. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. If you have no idea what Choose Your Own Adventure is and you never did a Choose Your Own Adventure book, yeah, it, it's probably not going to have as much. I mean, you do get the little storytelling experience, but you know, you could probably just go to the library and check out a Choose Your Own Adventure book at that point or one of the more modern implementations of that that are perhaps less randomy then man because those books are random i wouldn't because i also own this game because of course i have a ton of like everybody about our age just love those books uh to the best of my knowledge i would say it's not something i would tell someone not to play maybe not buy but like if somebody just wants somebody to play with like i would say play with them but yeah no, no, i wouldn't tell anybody i wouldn't tell anybody to buy this unless they have a lot of nostalgia like even just the box is like oh this is that good stuff 
Yeah. Okay, so that is Choose Your Own Adventure, House of Danger from uh, Z-Man Games. And then we are up to number three, Mike. Aha! So, 2018, my number three is seemingly the hot game of the moment, or one of the top hot games of the moment, which is Root. No, no, it is, it is. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Well, the other hot game, I would say, is my number one. So, anyways. Fair, fair, fair point, fair point. You're right. It, it's hot either way. So, Root. Probably everybody's heard about this, but just in case, Root is a Root is a game with a board. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of weird. It's, I mean, it's weird in a good way, in that uh, in the base game, you have four different factions, and each of them plays very differently. That's part of why I like it. Like, they're very, very wildly different. So you have the cats who are actually invading the forest, and they actually move into the different sections and they're actually trying to industrialize the forest. You have the airy bird guys who are kind of in between the forest and they were the rulers of the forest before the cats came in and they work with, uh, they actually have a very powerful uh, ability system, action system, excuse me, where they build this, like the number of actions they take every turn actually increases. However, they're essentially they're making promises whenever they do that, so you you have to add to the number of things you have to do in a turn, and eventually you're just not going to be able to do all of them, or you're going to win the game real hard, one of those two. And whenever you aren't able to, you have to go into default and basically completely reset. So part of the strategy for the game is, you know, when do I want to try and do that? But it's a very different experience, because you have to try and make sure that you're, you know, you're hitting the right thing. Then you have the Vagabond, who is just, you're not playing a faction, you're playing a person who's kind of a profiteer. It is going around and trading with people and trying to get his stuff up, and he can actually band with a group. He can kind of jump in with a group and then say, well, you know what, if they win, then I get to win now. You can't do that, obviously, with whoever's in first, because that would be really silly. But it, uh, just the asynchronous is so interesting in something that's not like a card game. It, it is actually a board game. And you all interact with each other, but at the same point, you all play so differently. And the artwork is fantastic. I, I can see why this game got so hot. I, I don't know anymore. I'm just, I guess I'm just an old curmudgeon um, before I, <laughs> before I hit forty. Uh, but anytime anybody's like really hot on a game, I, I don't know. I just always have this instant skepticism. But I picked this up and tried it, and my friendly local game store only got one copy and I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll get it. And we'll see. And I was just blown away. I, I think this game is great. Yeah. So that is my number three, which is root. That is root from leader games. And then what is your number three, Jay? All right. So my number three is a board game called the reckoners. This is based on uh, a series of young adult novels by Brandon Sanderson. So if you haven't read those novels, you should stop listening to this, go on Audacity, download them, listen to them. They are great. Basically, they are novels where uh, it's a universe where superheroes happened, but they're all evil. And uh, the main character joins up with the Reckoners, which is a group who their goal is to defeat the superheroes so that, you know, humanity can be free again. So in this board game, it's a cooperative board game. You are playing various members of the team from the books. If you've read the books, you'll recognize all of the characters. Each one has their own, you know, strengths and weaknesses and brings different things to the board. So the first novel 
is called Steelheart because he is sort of Superman who's evil. The board game, the goal is to defeat him. But you can't just start by attacking Superman. You gotta go deal with his henchmen first. Also important is every single superhero has some sort of weakness. And so when dealing with a superhero, some of them you can just punch in the face a lot. They don't have invulnerability or whatever. You can just punch them in the face. Some of them, such as Steelheart, you have to figure out what their weakness is. So you have to spend some time researching them to find their weakness and deal. Once you get their weakness done, then you can start punching them in the face and and get rid of them. In addition to dealing with the, the superheroes, it's basically martial law, martial state. So there's, you know, troops running around that you, you have to deal with before they punch you in the face first. There's also super science. And so in the course of the game, you want to get money to buy super science to help you out. So basically how it works is there's dice. Every character has their own dice. So that's part of how they're focused is... The dice are basically the same, except let's say I'm playing the guy who's really good at money. So I have one side that's doubling up on money. You're playing the guy who's good at punching the supers. His punching the super die side is doubled up. Or the person who's really good at researching has doubled up symbols. Anyway, you start each round by rolling the dice. You start with a, a couple, and then some things will give you just generic dice to roll as well. You roll the dice. You have to keep at least one. You can keep as many as you like. You roll it a couple times. At this point, you've got what dice you are activating on, what you're able to actually do with the dice. And then, so yeah, you just spend the resources that you're getting from the dice to defeat the supers and eventually, hopefully, defeat Steelheart. And having played it a couple times, one of the most important things in my mind for a good co-op game is you need to feel like you could lose but you need to not just be it needs to not be hopeless it needs to be that that's the thing that could happen if you play well and if you roll well and this has that feeling of you're in trouble if things could go wrong really easily so you have to be careful you have to be smart But if you are, and if the dice come out well, you can actually win. So yeah, that is my number three, is The Reckoners, based on Brandon Sanderson's novels. So we've established that a way to get Jay to like your stuff is to license it from Brandon Sanderson, right? Yes. Spoiler alert, yes. That is definitely true. (laughs) And The Reckoners is published by Navu Games. So my number three so far for 2018 is Coimbra. This is right there in the Euro genre, so or the Euro style, rather. So it's got some sort of theme about earning prestige in Renaissance Portugal or whatever. Anyhow, it's a dice placement game. So you've got, you roll your dice, the dice have both color like the dice have different colors the dice have numbers you have to dr- you roll the pool of dice and then they have to be drafted and depending on what 
the significance of these different combinations of the numbers and the colors is, given your situation, other players' situation, the status of the game, it can really change up what it is that you're trying to do, you know, get up all of your different combinations of victory points, because, you know, Euro game. And there's there's also added replayability from which different uh, citizens and monasteries and expeditions are out in a given version of the game. I just really like the continued innovation of doing stuff with, with dice, and I, I don't know why exactly, but I really like these games that that use the dice not as a do you succeed or fail mechanism or not even just as a randomizer of what your actions are going to be. I tend to find myself honestly more drawn to card games for that sort of thing. Like, I don't know, every deck building game ever, which I seem to like greatly. <laughs> but I really like these games where they use the dice as a as a broader randomizer for the game rather than like some personal thing that's just for you. And that is... My number three for 2018, which is Coimbra from Eggerspiel. And now we're going to let Mike kind of fudge a little bit here for his number two, I think. I mean, I think it's just a little bit, but yeah. So my number two is Dinosaur Island, totally liquid. Now, this is an expansion, which normally I don't think we normally do unless it's like a full standalone. I guess Brass Birmingham kind of is the same, but it's not. Anyways... But Birmingham is a is a standalone game. It, it's a re-implementation yeah. of Brass, but it's a standalone game. You can every individual who's voting gets to kind of make their own decision on is a new version of a game new enough that they think that it counts as one of the best games of the year rather than just a tweak of something else. So Brass Birmingham fine, but yeah, totally liquid is an expansion. We don't usually do expansions, but. The right. original game is not super available until 2018 anyway. Right, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. So t- I kick-started the expansion in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, because I wanted to get a copy of Dinosaur Island in 2017. However, I could not do that because I could not find it that was not, you know, like the price wasn't completely up uh, on from a reseller or whatever, if, if I could even find it. So this was my first chance to actually get it was the new Kickstarter, which was fine because I also got Duelasaur Island, which is also fantastic. It basically is also this slot and totally uh, totally liquid the expansion. I mean, it's basically Jurassic Park, but they didn't bother to get the license, but also they did a fantastic job on the art direction and the components and whatnot, so it's completely fine. Also, I find it humorous that there actually is a Jurassic Park game that's coming out pretty soon, I think from Mondo, like next year. Anyways, it is a, actually it's a worker placement-ish drafting building point game where basically you pick dinosaurs that you want to build, you get DNA, you build the dinosaurs, you make sure your security level's high enough so they don't break out and eat people, you have people that come to your park, the dinosaurs attract a whole bunch of people but you have to make sure that the people have places to go, there's a bunch of different random stuff so every time you play the game there's different things that you're doing it's just great i love basically everything about this game i love the aesthetics of it i love how just tongue-in-cheek it is but it doesn't go it doesn't get lazy with the tongue-in-cheek it's not just tongue-in-cheek like it actually has its own thing i think the designs are great the gameplay i think it's really really fun I do worry a little bit that it probably is technically... You could probably solve this game, is what I feel like. 
like obviously there's a lot of random components that change round around even but still it feels like you probably could figure out what the best things are and then just straight up go for that and probably win a lot of the time but also i don't care because that's not how i really want to play the game i want to do the best i can do but i'm not trying to do the absolute best you know i will take a bad card just because i think it's great because it's you know uh, like a security guard looks really grumbly or whatever so, I don't know, it's just a great game, I love it all around, probably my favorite Kickstarter I have ever backed, it was 100% worth it. The Oh, this is the game that may be heavier than Gloomhaven, because it had metal coins in the Kickstarter edition, and there were a lot of them in it, and there's a lot of plastic dinos too. And I tell you, this box is super heavy. It's like way, it's probably not as heavy as Gloomhaven, but it feels like it is because of the size difference. Because it's not a small box anyways, but it's still way heavier than you expect it to be with the Kickstarter coins. But anyways, that's my number two, Dinosaur Island, totally liquid from Pandasaurus Games. Yep, metal coins will drastically increase the weight of things. Jeez, jeez, and people do like metal coins sometimes. All right, all right, so we'd kick it to Jay here, but then we just make him say again that his number two appears higher on someone else's list. Yep. So I will just go ahead with my number two because I'm uh, self-centered like that. And my number two for 2018 is Space Base from Alderac Entertainment Group designed by John Clare. And I have to tell you, when I sat down to play this game, I was not thinking it was going to be something that I was going to super enjoy, right? Just the name, it's cutesy, does not inspire a lot of confidence in me when cutesy is what you go for for the name of the game. <laughs> but it ended up playing really well. Uh, so in Space Base, you have this uh, space station, I guess, and you have these slots at the space station to dock uh, your ships. And each of those slots is numbered from 1 to 12, uh, a.k.a. the sort of numbers you could roll on 2d6. Because on your turn, you are going to roll the dice, and then you, by, the, by the time you're done, you can activate, either you can add the dice together or take them separately and activate the ships that are in a given slots on your board. And then when you do that, everybody else, if they have things that can use that they have the ability to activate too and so you you actually you'll you put something into a slot and then when you put something else into the slot it kicks the old thing a little bit out and so it's the newest thing that you activate on your turn and then this combination of the old things that is activated on other players turns you're ultimately building an engine here so that you can generate a lot of stuff in one turn and then try to buy a big point card because you do have to try to do a lot of generation in one round because you don't just get to keep all of your resources at the end of your turn. And so it, it has some elements in common with Machikoro, but it plays significantly better than, than Machikoro, I think, partially because you can choose to adjust your strategy in a better way, uh, unlike Machikoro, right, which has this like certain buildings are just way, way, way better depending on the player count. Uh, and so you have this issue where you're like, oh, well, I don't ever want this kind of building in a four-player game, but I would always want it in a two-player or, or vice versa. But they're still out there clogging the universe up, even if they're the, the lousy version. You don't get that in Space Base. 
And this is a, this is another game that's that's quite light. Now that we're talking about the lightness, I'm kind of surprised at how not far off of my little scythe it is and like the BGG complexity rankings, but it's definitely not really that close to my little scythe. You you can play it with like with family stuff, but you can actually just play it with grown-ups too. And that is my number two so far for 2018, Space Base from Alderac Entertainment Group. Mike, I believe you have the 900-pound gorilla on deck. Oh, yeah. The 900-pound number one Keyforge. So, yeah, my number one is Keyforge because it's great and it's a lot of fun and is one of the most exciting card games that I've seen in a very long time. I am someone who's very bad about being very excited about a lot of different card games, and it does tend to wear people out with friends and whatnot. But Keyforge is one of the ones I, I have just... It has taken off with everybody if I've played it with. The game is so fun and so pretty different in that it is not technically like I'm directly attacking you, but it's still easy enough, right? I can try and clear your board, but really what I'm trying to do with my board is I'm trying to... Uh, get all this amber together it is the unique game where you every deck that you buy is randomly generated and you get three different factions you get an equal number of cards from each faction each turn you have to choose which faction you're going to do something with and you can only do stuff with those regardless if if they're on the board in your hand whatever that's what you have to do with that turn and then you just try and play, and essentially it's resource gathering, and you try and flip three keys, but that's really just a way to make sure that your resources that you're gathering essentially stay secured. It just, it plays super fast. I think the art and the world in general is a lot of fun. I love how different each of the factions feels. I love the unique deck thing. It's really nice to play a card game and not, you basically have deck building entirely taken out of your hands. Uh, there are kind of predictable, I wouldn't say problems, but things you might expect. There are decks that get four of a single card that are like, you don't really want four of this card. <laughs> like you, you, A couple of this, and this is a great deck. Three and four, and not enough creatures, and it starts to get real hard to play that deck. But that's kind of part of the fun of it. And even if you get a bad deck, it's it's ten dollars, and it, even it can you can play that to you know maybe be a handicap for someone who's not super used to games, and you just have to make the best of this deck. I just I, I love everything about it. I really like the unique games idea. I I think this is one that could definitely hit a lot of different markets and could actually grow the card game market because this uh, it, it's easy enough that someone who's never played card games before generally can pick it up and get it really quickly. So yeah. That is my number one, Keyforge. Okay, and then, Jay, this was uh, th- this is what cheated you out of your number two? Yeah, that was my number two was Keyforge, because everything Mike said, this is such a well-designed, well-interesting game. Like, one of the things I love about it, as, as Mike mentioned, there's you have three factions in your deck. Each turn, you pick one faction, and that's the one that you are using this turn. And so it's... You know, very easy to get into the situation of, okay, do I, I can either add cards to my board from my hand, or I can use what's already out on my board, but I probably can't really do both. And so there's a lot of interesting push and pull dynamics like that. That Yeah, it's just such a well-designed, interesting game. And I really do think the fact that you 
I mean, if you could deck build in this game, you would have stupid broken decks so quickly. The fact that the decks are built for you, and so you just have to see what you get, makes it so much more fun. That is Keyforge from Fantasy Flight Games. And if I recall correctly, let's see, it's designed by Richard Garfield. Do you guys know who that is? Did he design some other game? Wasn't that the, the cat that really hates Mondays but likes lasagna? That is an even more insulting... No, wasn't he a president like 50 years ago or something? <laughs> is that is that a better one? I was just going to go with like, oh, he's the, oh, that's right. He's the guy who designed Hive Mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spellfire? <laughs> oh, that's, that, was, that was not a great game. <laughs> Ooh, he's the guy who did Robo Rally. That's it. <laughs> he, he did. That is a better he, game than Spellfire. He, act- he, he actually did want to do that game first. And I want to point out, just he did not design Spellfire. Did he not? <laughs> Why am I thinking? By the way, uh, <laughs> no. Why is that in my brain then? Oh, I, who brain. knows what? Uh, yeah. Because TSR ended up as part of Wizards uh, of the Coast, it. and it yeah. was it was it was a TSR game. But yeah, I Spellfire, if I recall correctly, and God only knows if I do. I think it was one of those games where. Like, they went to design the game and uh, were like, what resources? No. You can just play whatever you want whenever you want it. That's not going to be a problem at all. I see no flaw in this plan now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that game Uh, was real bad. uh, But yes, in case you're not familiar, Richard Garfield was the designer of Magic the Gathering. And yes, you're right, Mike. He went to Wizards of the Coast to try to pitch them on Robo Rally. They said, we don't have the ability to make a game like that. What else you got? And he's like, well, you know, we've got this this game, like this kind of fast-playing card game that you can like do between D&D sessions or while you're waiting for people to show up or something, and and a legend was born. And Standard is fantastic right now, and they just announced the $10 million year that they're going to do for Magic. I, I don't know. It's it's exciting time for board games and card games. Uh, yeah, well, Magic. that, that but that $10 million includes Magic the Gathering Arena prizes. Uh Yes, it does. So, yes. Uh, so you have other ways to... I mean, yeah, I to, to my benefit, because I don't play that much in the way of lifestyle games anymore, to my benefit, Magic has shifted its focus over the, the last however many years to, uh, let's shall we say, a more casual market. Uh, you're, you're much more likely to get me by releasing... Like, they just released a Magic the Gathering board game, and then there's the, the Explorers of Ixalan, I think that was last year, which was... Kind of like it reminds me of War of Honor was for Legend of the Five Rings. You're playing that? magic, but it's a <sighs> sorry. Anyhow, but I'm much more likely to buy something like Explorers of Ixalan than I am to buy a booster box. Or you could yeah. just release a Magic the Gathering branded D and D book, which is amazing. That's Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica. Anyhow. Oh wait, did, does Jay know about the Brandon Sanderson novella? I have heard about that. I is it been released yet? I want to yes. read it. Okay, and it is free. Ooh, I will definitely want to read that then. Would you like to tell people what it is, other than a Brandon Sanderson novella? I mean, you had me at Brandon Sanderson novella. So. It is a Brandon San a Brandon Sanderson magic novella. They released for free. I don't know what the name of it is. It's an entirely new Planeswalker because apparently it was just a uh, a story he had around and he fit it into magic. That sounds like something he would do. Yeah. Well, it's it's a uh, it's a general writer thing. Yeah, yeah. One of the strengths of magic, right, is actually it, it is a fairly flexible universe, so that's not a hard 
Brandon Sanderson's Law of uh, Magic. I don't think that's it at all. The name of it, I believe, is Children of the Nameless. So. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. I was trying to Google it, but I, my Google foo failed me. Then we let's go on to your number one, Jay, which is not at all a lifestyle game either. No, but it's definitely brushing up against the idea. This is Star Wars Legion. It's FFG's newest Star Wars miniature game. It's squad-based combat where, you know, you've got, like, Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker running around with lightsabers stabbing each other. You've got squads of stormtroopers. I mean, one of my favorite parts of it is you've got an ATST just walk giant nonsense walking around. Yeah, it's it's fun. So, you know, you, you think war game, you're thinking like the old guys with the measuring tape and all of that. And so one of the things I love that FFG keeps doing with their miniatures games is really standardizing the movement. You don't have to be like, oh, he can go 12 inches. No, there's little tools and you for for the the regular miniatures you just put the tool one end against the miniature you put the other end where you want them to move to boom you move them they sped up the squads you just move the squad leader and then the rest of them just have to stay close by and then for the like the vehicles they have much more constrained movement but it's still super fast super easy and it is objective-based. You start the game, you, you've got a couple cards that determine what is, what is the objective, what are you working towards. It's not just about killing all of that rebel scum that's in your way. Uh, sometimes you just need to get over to where they are or keep them from sabotaging some of your toys. You also have, you know, the terrain effects going on. And you can run around with Darth Vader and you can force choke people. Who doesn't love that? So yeah, Star Wars Legion by Fantasy Flight. Star Wars Miniatures. It is a lot of fun. Although I will say, it is a heavy miniatures game. So I think I've spent more time assembling and painting miniatures than I have actually playing them at this point. But that's partially because I like assembling and painting miniatures. So, And they're, they're really not bad minis to build. Oh, they're great to just to look at. The uh, my Boba Fett, I love how he came out. He he looks great. Oh yeah, no, but but I mean, uh, they they actually are just not uh, difficult to put together. They mostly oh, fit. Yeah, no, that is also true. They are really easy to assemble. Okay, that is Star Wars Legion from Fantasy Flight Games. So then, my number one of 2018 so far is Thunderstone Quest from Alderac Entertainment Group. And I will admit that I did consider whether or not this should be not eligible, but, you know, sort of eligible at all because it is another iteration of Thunderstone. But while I, I don't think I'd really go, say, Thunderstone to Thunderstone Advance was a enough of a change-up that, you know, that would have done it on, there's quite a bit of, of change up with Thunderstone Quest. So Thunderstone Quest was one of the very first deck building games that came out after Dominion. And it really was based on the idea of, well, okay, Dominion came up with this great mechanic and Dominion is really just like just the mechanic. So what 
if you had deck building with a purpose, like you built a deck and then you did something with it. And because we're all gamers, the thing that you do with your deck is you build a deck of heroes and weapons and spells and stuff, and then you went into a dungeon to fight monsters. Because, you know, we all know how that works. And I think Thunderstone Quest is the best implementation of that yet. I think every version of the game, they've made it more fluid and given you more options. This one has a lot of of different tweaks you can do when you spend your turn going into the village, which means you're improving your deck. And it's also added movement within the dungeon. So you've got your, your little... It's a it's a miniature, but you could, you know it could be whatever. Uh, you've got your your miniature that marks where you are in the dungeon, and they've gotten rid of the whole light as a substitute or alternative sort of attack, which is effectively what it was in the first game and always was the most confusing part of the game. And it has now just become a way to move physically deeper into the dungeon to fight the the nastier stuff. I have always liked Thunderstone and I liked it it was better when it was Thunderstone Advance and now it's even better when it's Thunderstone Quest this was launched as a Kickstarter the retail release actually only hit relatively recently and right now at retail you can only get the base game like if you got the Kickstarter version you you know got like multiple other quests in it you can do the quest thing or not uh, you can also just play them as, it's like, oh look, it's an expansion with more cards, but you can also play through the sort of story. I mean, the story is a little disappointing. It's not as, uh, there's not as much, you know, story to the story as I was hoping there would be as you play through the different things. So the quests are basically just different specific setups uh, of the game. Like there's going to be a certain pool of cards and different tiles in the dungeon because as you move deeper into the dungeon, the, like there are different physical locations now, so they can have different modifiers. Like when you're fighting somebody in this place, there's a higher, but it's tougher to kill them. That sort of thing. But and I don't know. It, it, it just ups even further what was already a good game. And at least for now, I'm going to say that that is enough to let it be something I can put on my list, uh, even though it's a you know an advancement of an existing game. And that is Thunderstone Quest from Alderac Entertainment Group. So that is our personal lists here. So as is usually the case with the preliminary results there, because not everybody has had enough time to play everything and sort of uh, kind of condense down some of the votes, uh, it's much more spread out. And because this is the preliminary game of the year, we tolerate ties well i don't yeah so we we do tolerate ties here which means that then there wouldn't be a runner-up for game of the year and so but so our at the moment our preliminary game of the year is uh or games of the year are root and keyforge which is reminiscent of our 2017 preliminary games of the year which was Legend of the Five Rings and Gloomhaven. So, you know, the new hot pseudo-lifestyle sort of game and then the, the sort of consensus best game amongst the board gaming community. We'll then see how uh, Keyforge continues to roll out in this. M- Mike, you and Jay, uh, I-, I think it's fair to say that you guys can be volatile in your votes on the <laughs> the lifestyle sorts of games right like you you mentioned this jay yeah like right you know like the new one will come out 
you'll get excited. Then the next year, a different new one comes out, and then you get excited, and then you have to see how long, how much staying power the other one has. I sus, I mean, I suspect that it's done so well that that financially, KeyForge is going to have staying power. It's it's been gonzo as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah I mean, lack of availability of product is the only thing I can see hampering it. Which there's a little bit right now, but not enough. Like, there's enough out in the ecosystem that, you know, people have it. It's because people bought ten decks instead of buying one deck. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun to see all the different combinations, see the silly names. And I have He Who Smokes Desire, and I think that's a great name. Oh, there are so many great names. I, I have one that's something like He Who Willingly Ingests Poison or something like that. One, one of them I saw was She Who Destroys You Specifically. Yes, if you if you're not uh, familiar, these are the names of the archons, right? Like the sort of like that's the yep. name of your deck then. Each cuz each deck is unique for that particular random selection of cards and these are procedurally generated names. So you've got some algorithm that's just spitting out not random names, but uh you know, algorithmically generated names. They've already had yeah. to modify the algorithm and recalls and ban, like, literally they, so, like, they've banned decks already because they had, like, bizarrely racist sort of names, like, that, and they, that required them to refine their algorithm <laughs> a little bit more. And they have an incentive coming up for retailers where you can get a, a display of boxes where the names will all incorporate your store's name somehow wow that i i could see that telling like hotcakes if i owned a game store i'd be like that is awesome yeah exactly <laughs> lord of the curio cavern <laughs> <laughs> so we're pretty long on the time frame here so let's go ahead and, and uh wrap that up so our 2017 game of the year was Gloomhaven, and our 2018 preliminary game of the year is a tie between Keyforge and Root. So we will see you here next year, where we will do our final game of the year for 2018. Now, I know that last year I said we were going to try to move that up earlier in the year, rather than doing this all right at the end of the following year. That obviously didn't happen this year but i don't know why i'm even mentioning it now because it implies like maybe it'll happen next year but then i'll probably just make sure it doesn't happen so god only knows but we'll we'll see you will we will we will be back for this next year and maybe it will all be together at the end of the year and maybe it will be split up so we're just having a game of the year thing in the middle of the year like like most other of these board game sorts of awards are but until then you've been listening to strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there in the Apple Podcast app, in iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, Spotify, Stitcher, all over the place, really. You can also find us at the usual social media. We're Strange Assembly on Instagram. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. We always appreciate it when you follow us or like us or whatever on any of those platforms, or if you give us a rating or review on iTunes. All of these things help raise the visibility of the podcast and help other people discover it. So we always greatly appreciate that. We appreciate it even more 
If you choose to stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash strangeassembly, that supports not only this podcast, but also the website. So if you go to strangeassembly.com, you'll find a variety of board and card and uh, tabletop role-playing game reviews and some other content. But if you want to get a hold of me directly, I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear from you. Comments, criticism, feedback, just, yo, how you doing? I always love that sort of stuff. Again, that's Chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Oh, dip, I'm not again.